Hey everyone, I'm back. It's Mike. I'm here to give you a little bit of a preamble about this next preview that we wanted to give you. Uh, this is for our series, Giant Days of Our Lives. It was a series by Brian, Kate Lamphere, and Kara. They were talking about everything and anything Giant Days, going volume by volume, breaking down the series, assigning character roles, and giving you a, a Spotify music breakdown. Brian put together an amazing Spotify playlist that we'll link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, this is a really fun series. I, I was really proud of the work that these three were able to put together. And uh, I think if you like Giant Days, or if you just like people who enjoy really fun, adorable comics, I think you're going to love listening to this. And of course, you can listen to the rest of the series on our Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Enjoy. Like panels through a comic book, these are the giant days of our lives. Welcome to a very special miniseries of the I Read Comic Books podcast. As many of our listeners know, we are, how shall I put this, high-key obsessed with the series Giant Days from Boom Studios. I'm Kara Shamborski, joined by Brian Murray and Kate Lamphere, and we are talking about Giant Days Volume 1 today. This includes issues 1 through 4, writer John Allison, artist Lisa Tremaine, colorist Whitney Kogar, and letters by Jim Campbell. I'm going to hand it over to Kate for an introduction to this volume, and then we will discuss each our top three favorite moments for this volume, as well as fight over who is which character in our protagonist trio. And without further ado, these are the giant days of our lives. Full spoilers ahead for volume one. We start with uh, the volume opens with an establishing panel. Daisy Wooten, Esther DeGroote, and, and Susan Ptolemy were assigned dorm rooms across the hall from one another and have become friends. Daisy is homeschooled and not ready for this cruel, cruel world. Esther is pale, interesting, and her high school relationship just ended. Susan, by her own account, is flawlessly co- commonsensical, and the others would be dead without her. Susan and, and Esther enter a bet that Susan can't afford drama for three days. Over the course of the volume, we see Esther cause a cafeteria catastrophe and also find herself on the 25 hottest freshman girls list. So she loses the bet and has to give Susan a back massage. Susan gets revenge on the boys who created the list by calling their mothers and one very disappointed elderly aunt. The matriarchs interrupt a class to bring the three boys out by their ears and one boy is even placed in a very large handbag. Susan herself is not free of drama. When saying hi to another friend, Ed Gemmel, she is shocked to see her ex-best friend McGraw, no first name. McGraw has just transferred to this university. His presence haunts Susan for mysterious reasons for most of the volume. She even creates a zine about how, how men are horrible and sets the photo of McGraw as the cover, which haunts him for the rest of the volume. In a much-anticipated flashback sequence, we eventually see that Susan asked McGraw out at the end of high school, and he rejected her. By the end of the volume, they are back on neutral terms, thanks to an art installation by McGraw and a public handshake with Susan. Perfect Daisy even manages to find some drama in this volume. Susan walks in on her watching something on her computer. Daisy later confesses that she enjoys napkin-folding videos. She's worried it's a weird sex thing, and Susan, who is a medical student, reassures Daisy she just has autonomous sensory meridian response. 
Later, Daisy makes a new friend named Nadia, who, Su- who Susan is very suspicious of. Nadia takes Daisy out dancing for her birthday, and Daisy takes not a suggested one, but three unidentified pharmaceuticals. She's a stoned mess when she arrives home, shortly before her grandmother shows up to surprise her. Esther distracts Granny until Daisy can make herself presentable, and there are no other consequences. Later that day, Nadia comes to check on Daisy and give her a gift. Daisy asks Nadia out and is, re- and is rejected. The volume ends with Esther mentioning a building dance to Ed Gimmel and says if they don't find romantic partners, they can always marry one another. Ed, who is clearly harboring some very strong romantic feelings for Esther, turns beet red. Oh, my baby. So Giant Days is a series that we all could go on and on about at length. So for the purposes of this podcast special, we have decided to uh, restrain our feelings slightly and each pick three favorite moments from the volume. Brian, what is one of your favorite moments from this volume? Yeah, so one of my favorite moments of both this volume and Giant Days in general is the the sheer intensity of the animosity between Susan and McGraw. So when <laughs> when she first like Ed Gemmel moves out of the way and we see McGraw and they lock eyes and it is like a full anime sequence. Of them, like, <laughs> like I, I heard in my head the sound effect that a lot of anime put in that that scene, with like the the red background with the squiggly line through it. It was it was perfect. <laughs> I have to say uh, that you know it, it was so interesting revisiting volume one because for me there are a lot of moments in this volume that kind of stuck in my mind even from the first time that I read it. But then the majority of the volume I had forgotten. Like, I I think Nadia is sort of a recurring character, and I just spaced on the fact that she was introduced in volume one. And Mm -hmm. something that that I really did notice this time around on the reread is how, which is one of my favorite moments, is um, more of like a a through line in how um, animated all of the the motion and activity is between these panels because this is a slice of life comic book but because of these little moments like that anime eyes locking uh panel you just get this sense of um motion and energy throughout the whole story yeah i feel like a lot of the characters have a very sort of loose almost boneless look to them where they'll just be like bent into comical positions and I think that that lends to that what you're talking about a lot that sense of motion. Well, Kate, one of your one of your favorite moments I think actually relates to to the moment that Brian just described. Yeah, there's a really good line for Susan afterward once they're out of this situation with the boys, and she says to Esther, "Tell your friend Ed Gimmel not to hide my enemies behind his ludicrous hair in the future." And she's correct. <laughs> like Ed Gimmel's hair is kind of just a giant mess, and it's got to be like eight or nine inches long, and it just kind of is everywhere. So when we first see McGraw, all we see is the side of his face around Ed's hair. <laughs> yeah when you can't see the full mustache it's tough to know if it's really mcgraw or not correct yep (laughs) i i do think part of the the joy of this series is the snappy one-liners like those moments that catch you off guard um Mm -hmm. like the stop hiding my enemies in your hair like who says that (laughs) apparently susan 
Yeah, or one of my favorite. Uh, Esther is talking to Daisy about how she's going to go like boxing to let off some tension. I think this is this is during the uh, uh, the freshman list arc, which is another thing I totally forgot about. Um, but Daisy just says, "I'm worried that if I start punching, I might like it." <laughs> like, I, lo- I love that idea of uh, Daisy having this inner beast that must be kept under lock and key at all times well it's just so early in the series i think that's in issue one or two and already you know that daisy is like this precious little flower and so to have the line from her be that funny that early i think just goes to show already the strength of the character building in this series and of the the comedic writing in general oh yeah it's um you know one of one of um uh you know like you Brian I had completely forgotten about the freshman like hot girls list and rereading this volume brought it all roaring back and the the whole like Esther goes to try to resolve the problem like through the normal channels like going to whatever the like the dean of the college and trying to get the list taken down and he's just like this old man at the computer like ah how nice these boys have complimented you and she's just like i'm gonna burn this place to the ground (laughs) 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 i'm like who wouldn't relate to that that level of intensity um that's actually not one of my favorite moments from this volume, though. Uh, far and away, my top favorite moment is so stupid. It's like a throwaway panel of Esther pointing at the boots that she has just purchased. Um, so this is the part of the volume where the girls are all going out for Daisy's 18th birthday. And uh, they're all being asked to contribute money for for drinks for Daisy's whole college experience so that she doesn't spend it all in one night. And Esther doesn't have any money because she has bought the most magnificent boots. They're so ludicrous. You couldn't wear them anywhere outside of university. They're like jagged platform, like with teeth on them and like dinosaurs and like giant eyeballs up by the top of the laces. And I just remember, like, that is one of the panels from this whole series that is burned into my mind as being emblematic of the type of of humor and kind of embracing these small moments and turning them into something to celebrate. Because, again, it is a slice-of-life comic, and so you figure, like, oh man, how, how interesting could a typical day at a British university be? And the answer is very, if you take the time to be detail-oriented, like the creators of this series are. Yeah, Giant Days definitely exists in a reality that is like our own, but definitely not ours. Like, <laughs> I, my first thought when I saw those boots was that they looked like a, a prop out of Beetlejuice. Like I they see have, it. They have that same sort of like, like gothic freak show vibe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but but speaking of daisy uh kate i get the sense that a, a lot of your favorite moments from this volume were about our our fluffy haired heroine 
Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. Daisy is, well, okay, I can't say that Daisy is my favorite because let's be real, all of them are my favorite. But um, (laughs) when Daisy gets uh, very stoned at the club, um, her grandmother shows up and Susan is trying to get Daisy into bed while Esther is trying to hand her the grandmother out in the hallway. And Esther peeks her head in and, and she's like, well, get get Daisy out here to, to visit her grandmother. Um, and and Susan goes, Granny, she's not up for an audience with Granny. And this is one of those <laughs> panels where where the limbs are like liquid, like Brian had mentioned earlier. And it just it just emphasizes like just the way that the lettering is done and look on Susan fa- Susan's face and Daisy's wobbly arms just emphasize everything about the moment and it's so funny but you can feel the tension too it's it like they are very stressed out <laughs> and closely followed by another shining moment of comedic timing in comic books when Esther goes put her in a cold shower like in the movies <laughs> and you just get the sense that because um, a, a, a strong subplot in this volume is Susan trying to convince Esther that Esther is like a walking drama bomb and this is a moment where you see Esther kind of embracing or reveling in that experience she's like like in the movies we have to do it Um, but you know, uh, you're saying how it's it's hard to pick a favorite character. I, I think from the start, my favorite character was Esther because she's just so over the top. And she says these things that in, you know, a, a typical conversation would carry a lot of weight. But the way she says them very casually, um, it speaks to me. Like my, uh, one of my other uh top three favorite moments in this volume was actually the last panel where Esther is just casually saying to Ed, like, don't worry if the dance doesn't pan out, we'll just get married in the morning. And just his face, the way it's drawn with his eyes, just like going wide and small at the same time. Which, yeah. <laughs> and just the way she said it, I was like, that is a thing that I would say, not thinking about the consequences. <laughs> I didn't notice uh, that Ed's um, feelings for Esther started this early. Like like we had mentioned earlier how many things we'd forgotten that happened in volume one. And I thought for some reason, I thought that Ed's um, crush on Esther started in like volume three or something. But man, it's every everything is just the glo- the groundwork is just laid in this volume for like the rest of the series. Which is kind of I, I think it speaks to how. I think for a lot of us getting hooked right away on this series and right away getting the sense that this was something fun and special and like funny. Like when was the last time you read a funny comic that actually made you laugh? Like Giant Days consistently makes me laugh out loud. Yeah. Like uh, it's it's a thing where um, I'm not going to get into like sociology or psychology, but if you laugh out loud while you're alone with something that's really funny for you (laughs) because a lot of the times like people laugh more when they're in a group setting you know like at a comedy show or something like that but giant days had me like cackling alone in my car on my lunch break reading this so like (laughs) that was when i knew that this was going to be something special and i've it's it has maybe half a panel 
of exposition at the start where it just says, these are these three characters, and then boom, you're right in the middle of the plot. You're right in the middle of their interactions with each other and the world around them. And I found that really refreshing to just be like, okay, like they've already met. We have a like maybe a page of exposition, but it's not heavy handed. We're just already along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have a, had a moment of there. Um, this comic is is telling me what's happening and not showing me what's happening. Like I didn't see them meeting or anything. But you're right. Like that does set it up to just be action and drama after that. Um, but when I when I first read it, I'm like, man, I I don't remember this comic being just so much, you know, informing you of things instead of showing you. But yeah, it is really just that one page. Yeah, well, and, and Giant Days is based off of a webcomic originally. Um, so I, I I wonder if like those brief stories of them talking about the things they did together, I wonder if that was stuff from the webcomic. Oh, sounds like we have some investigating to do. Yeah, I've never well, looked into the webcomic for this, but that's a good idea. I don't, I don't think I knew that there was a webcomic. Oops. <laughs> well, I think that Esther came out of something else, which was probably that webcomic, but I didn't know if the, the other two had been in it. I have to say something that I noticed in... I don't know if you guys had this experience, but in the first issue, there's a throwaway line about how they are attending university in Britain. And for some reason, I didn't retain that fact. And I was just merrily reading along. And then all of a sudden something happened. I forget what, but it must have been in volume two or three where something happens where I was like, this is not America. <laughs> like, bold of me to assume that any university story needs to be happening in the United States. But I was like, wait, is this Canada? And then other things happened where I was like, no, this is definitely the UK. But I feel like I never really confirmed that, but it was waiting for me in volume one all along. I was just not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking talk- of, of things that I, I noticed this time around, uh, there's a, a big flu pandemic going around campus in the second issue. Timely. And, yeah, we are, <laughs> we are recording this in November of 2020. So we are currently in month, what, eight of the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, the, there, there was a, there's a page where it shows three panels for each of our, our main trio. There's a 12 p.m., a 3 p.m., and a 5 p.m. And, like, Esther is just slowly getting buried under more blankets as the chills overtake her. And Susan is just, like, stressing out. She's in... She's, in nicotine withdrawal but she's like trying to read a book and the 5 p.m panels are eating a page from the book (laughs) yeah i didn't notice until this reading that she flips the book upside down by 3 p.m yeah (laughs) and and then daisy is just like fully comatose waking up at 5 p.m and i just watched that i was like wow i've had each of those days in this past (laughs) week like oh that's just i mean that that, I think that was when I was like, yeah, like, okay, I, I love each of these characters. <laughs> but again, it's like right away, first volume, first four issues, so you know exactly who each of them is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, speaking we... of Daisy's chill, um, mm. the whole 
napkin folding videos scene when when you think that maybe she's she's watching something that's not innocent um and it turns out to be like asmr um that is a theme through this whole volume i thought that it was like some throwaway funny moment between you know girls that live in a college dorm together but um i know that I recall that Daisy does respond to various sounds in her environment through the whole series. And I just thought it was like, oh, that's just Daisy. But the reason is presented right here um, in volume one. And then later when she's uh, when she's stoned out of her mind in the club, she's in the bathroom and either the tap is on or the hand dryer is going and the hand dryer. Okay, And then Nadia walks in and Daisy is like. Um, the song is this so is beautiful or something. Song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so just this this whole like like Daisy's ASMR thing where she picks up on these sounds in her environment. I love that it's just dropped in there and then it's actually played off of instead of just being a moment. Did yeah. you guys re- remember that Daisy adopts a baby bird in this issue? <laughs> no, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, same. It's like rereading this volume all of a sudden daisy's like feeding a pigeon outside her window and then the pigeon like gets murdered in front of us we don't see it graphically but that's what happens and then daisy discovers the pigeon has left behind a baby pigeon and i think she starts carrying it around with her and everyone's just like that's fine yeah this is the pigeon that spoke to her while she was hopped up on eastern european flu meds (laughs) Oh I mean, yeah, Daisy does two drugs in this volume. <laughs> oh, there's just something it. nothing really funny about watching your very innocent friends get very high. <laughs> it's part of that rite of passage of being in the college experience, I guess. I don't know. I've I've never done drugs like that, so I will just assume that it's entertaining for everybody else. Yes, yes, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um part of the the convenient joy of recording this as as a trio and having a trio of main characters is that we get to perhaps see ourselves in these characters in each volume as as we go through so uh brian did you particularly identify with one of our fabulous trio this time around Oh yeah, I'm absolutely absolutely Susan for this volume. I mean, she she spends the most of the volume causing her own problems out of her own stubborn pride. Like, <laughs> come on, that's that's the title to my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> causing problems by my own stubborn pride, the Brian Murray story. Yeah, like it, it's it's just not a day for me if I don't complicate it for myself with something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very stressful. I'm so sorry. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Kate? Did you see yourself in any of our girls? Yeah, I mean, after this this conversation about Daisy, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I, I feel <laughs> like I am I am the most like Daisy in this particular volume, just because she um, she's agreeable about going to the club and she's agreeable about eating whatever her friend gives her and um, about going to, to breakfast with granny even though she was just stoned out of her mind the night before and she takes the the cold <laughs> medicine that somebody gives her like i just like yeah yeah you're my friend i trust you i'm in whatever you want to do <laughs> fool <laughs> 
so conveniently, I don't have to fight either of you this week because I did see myself mostly in in Esther, which, you know, I, I, I think I'm the kind of person who's like, high maintenance but likes to think they're chill but i have zero chill let's be honest here (laughs) and so esther spoke to me in this volume as being a a representative of a facet of myself because um there was a lot of her uh impractical wardrobe choices being featured there were the boots as i mentioned which caused her to not have spending money um, did not plan this, but I also purchased boots that then eliminated my fun money for a week. So, like, you know, um, I make these choices and you might be thinking, but Kara, it's a pandemic. Where are you going? And the answer is don't worry about it. I just need more sequins and tie dye. It's fine. <laughs> no, if, if, Every- the boot, if the boot fits, right? Everyone has their coping mechanism. Um, but I also enjoyed how she, you know, speaking of having an impractical wardrobe for the situation at the point where everyone is getting the flu that's going around esther decides that she must be dying of meningitis and must actually go to the doctors and then realizes that all of her quote-unquote normal clothing is just strewn around the floor and she doesn't trust her senses to be able to determine if they are passing the sniff test and if she can wear them out in public. So she opens her closet and she's like, it's time for goth regalia. And then starts walking to the doctor dressed in like a full steampunk goth outfit with like a bustle and a corset and a top hat. And I was just thinking about that. I was like, I mean, you know, if I had to leave the house right now and nothing else was available, I have like six dresses that you know, are the kinds of things you would wear to, like, somebody's wedding. And I'm not going to any events anytime soon. If I had to, in a pinch, I could bust out some tool and just go. Like, and at that point, you might as well throw in a tiara and a cute purse. Like, there are options here. At that point, it's definitely intentional, you know? So people, people won't think it's as weird as just the dress. It's like yes, I meant, I meant to bring some joy to myself through my clothing choices today. Um. So anyway, I hope I don't get sick because then that might manifest. (laughs) (laughs) Or I could just keep living in tie dye sweats. I don't want to find out, but you know my options are here. Um. So. (laughs) Now that I've created that mental picture for myself. Um, is there, uh, Brian, I think you have some, uh, a musical component to this adventure of our recording. So, uh, years ago now I I created a, a giant days playlist for myself, just songs that make me think about giant days. Um, so I'm going to try and and pick a song to go with each volume and I'm not really sure what the right one for this is, but I think think i'm gonna have to go with uh fluorescent adolescent from the arctic monkeys uh just for that uh that vibe you know i uh, i don't know brian i've never heard the song oh well it's got it's got a real like uh i don't know how to, i don't know how to do it without just like singing it 
which is absolutely not going to be a part of this show. <laughs> right. um, well, Brian, how does it make you feel? Is it up tempo or down tempo? It's, it's very, it's very peppy. It's got a real like. I wouldn't call it a marching beat, but it's got a very like like a driving force to the song. In the same way that I feel like this album really, or this this album, the same way I feel like this issue really pushes you further into the series as a whole. Hmm. I mean, I was gonna say for for a song choice since daisy has already sort of picked one for us by saying that the hand dryer sound is the best song she's heard all night like that's the obvious pick yeah or she says it's even better than enya so maybe if i had thought ahead i could have gotten an enya track (laughs) i do i do love that she's a fan of enya and that's like her end all be all of music yeah, because of course she is. <laughs> oh man, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts about Volume One of Giant Days before we uh, wrap up for this episode? Uh, I'm all I'm all set. I think I've said my piece. Yeah, just that uh, it really is the foundation for the whole series, and I and I feel like uh, it's even more uh, strongly a foundation than like the average Volume One. I, does that make sense? Like all of the pieces are put out, um, and then the rest of the series plays off of everything that, like everything that you find in Volume One. Mm-hmm. All right, sounds good. Well, Brian, take it away. Read us out. Yeah, uh, we just want to say a quick thank you to all of our Patreon folks for making this show happen. It literally would not exist without your support. Uh, big thank you to Xander for editing. Thank you for Mike for producing. Uh, thank you to Infinity Shred for providing the music for our, all of our shows. Uh, and speaking of music, if you're at all interested in the Giant Days playlist I mentioned earlier, there's going to be a link in the show notes. And class dismissed. 